0: really don't remember the first time I had a slug burger. I think they were just always part of my growing up experience here. I think I thought every town had slug burgers as an option to a hamburger. So most of the time, if you ordered a hamburger here, they would say, do you want a slug burger? And then you would have to, you know, specify, no, I want a beef burger because a lot of places here serve slug burgers. So yeah, I just grew up thinking
1: everybody had them and knew about them. Welcome to Local Fairy Tales. I'm your narrator, Nora Vetter. What is a local fairy tale? It's the story of a fair, F-A-R-E, that can only be found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Each tale will be told with the help of the voices that know it well historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, etc. Today's featured fair is the Slug Burger, also known as Dough Burger, Duty Burger, Cereal Burger, and many other monikers. You just heard Whitney Warsham from the Crossroads Museum in Corinth, Mississippi. Now let's meet the rest of our Slug Burger tale tellers.
2: I'm anne Marie Anderson, the Southern Foodways Alliance World Historian. Angela
3: Avent, the Director of Main Street Corinth.
4: Brian Huff, currently the Assistant Editor of uh, Independent Appeal.
3: Jessica Huff, the Director of Chamber and Tourism for the McNary County EDC and Chamber of Commerce. Pat Knight, I own
5: Pat
6: Cafe
7: in Selmer, Tennessee. Derek Pertle, owner operator of Dove Burgers in Athens, Alabama.
6: Holly Hoyner from New Albany, Mississippi, owner and operator of Latham's Hamburger. And Christy White, the owner of Johnny's Temple in
0: Mississippi. Whitney Worsham, the director of the Crossroads Museum in Corinth, Mississippi.
8: I'm Boyd Yarbrough from the
2: Orin Dunn City Museum. And you're listening and you're listening to, listening to listening to the local the local fairy tale
4: of local fairy tale of the slug burger.
6: Fairy tale of the dough burger. Of
4: the duty burger.
1: The slug burger. Before the local fairy tale of the Slugburger continues, a moment of remembrance for an honorary Slugburger tale-teller, Willie Weeks. He was the owner of Weeks Diner in Boonville, Mississippi. He passed on April 11, 2020. You'll be hearing other tale-tellers reference his ancestors' history with the Slugburger, and he proudly continued that legacy. Links to more information about the week's family ties to the origin of the Slug Burger recipe will be provided on localfairytales.com.
5: I'm Pat Knight from Pat's Cafe, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the Slug Burger. When they ask what I put in my burgers, and they're, you know, we call them Slug Burgers, and that's to Show them the length of my index finger and tell them that we only use the ones that are that long. And uh, and these people from Louisiana, they they went to ask, acting really bad, you know, like, oh, this is terrible. And I, I said, oh, y'all, hush. Y'all are from Louisiana. You people will eat anything. So they burst out laughing and they had slug burgers after that. And they
0: called it a slug burger then because it was a nickel. And that's
5: you know, another
0: name for a nickel during that time they called it a slug. So it really has nothing to do with snails, which some people from outside our area think when they come here.
8: Doesn't sound too appetizing, does it? Give me a duty burger. Uh huh. That doesn't sound too good. But uh, it was it was his nickname. His nickname, Thurman Christian, Thurman Duty Christian, was his name, and his nickname was Duty. So that's why it was Duty's Diner. But unless you're from around here and you know about that, I mean, who wants a duty Burger? But they're good.
6: We have it on our menu that is a dough Burger. And then most of the time, if it's someone that's never been in, we kind of, you know, we kind of can pick up on that. So we go ahead and tell them and make sure if we have any question, if they don't know what it is, we go ahead and tell them. But I mean, I I know I've heard instances where people have been in and did not know, but most of the time they're pleasantly surprised. I also
9: have a very good friend from Athens, Alabama, who uh, is not a fan, but uh, we've had conversations about them. (laughs) She grew up there and she's like, I don't like those, but that is not most people.
2: (laughs) I guess if you grew up eating them there again, like I say, it's kind of a tradition that you just, you want a slug burger. They're just really good.
5: (laughs) a lot of people call them uh, dough burgers and pool hall burgers and my thing is i don't care what you call it as long as you keep eating
3: them. people call them dough burgers people call them johnny burgers they call them duty burgers slug burgers we we all know what they're ordering because in Corinth, be, they call them slug burgers up there so this is kind of where you're at
8: in north mississippi there's still i guess i can count just right in northeast mississippi six or eight restaurants that still serve the dough burgers, a Latham burger in New Albany, a Tronicar burger or, or a slug burger, they call it up in Corinth. Uh, there's a Ayuka a dough burger. Uh, there's the Barn burger in Ripley. So they're, they're still all over the place up in this, this area. So
9: you can find a slug burger, a dough burger, they're referred to as different things, sometimes cereal burger. You can find them in the Tennessee Valley which is the northeast part of Mississippi, the northwest part of Alabama, into kind of central northern Alabama, and then up into, into Tennessee. So that area kind of makes a, a radius.
4: If you ever visit Selmer, Tennessee, one of the first questions you're going to get asked, especially if you've never been here, is have you had a slug burger?" And if the answer is no, there's a good chance you're going to find yourself sitting on a stool in one of these restaurants
3: <laughs> So it's it's a hamburger but it's got a little bit fluffier texture to it. I, I love them they're an acquired taste. Some people have tried them and they, they say they' they don't like them they're again like I said it's an acquired taste but I think everybody needs to try one at least once when they come out here just so you can say hey I've tried it you either like it or you don't so
0: <laughs> well it looks a lot like a burger from the outside. And um, you can see the crispy fried edges sticking out. And then when you bite into it, you might, you know, it might feel crispy at first, but then it's soft on the inside. so good.
6: Ours are crunch on the outside and soft on the inside.
4: I'm sure you've had hush puppies. Imagine a hush puppy that's flat and has meat in it. That's kind of what, consistency-wise, not flavor-wise, but consistency-wise what this was like.
9: And, and the reason why it works is what it's made out of, right? So it's beef. Some people also have pork in there. It's largely beef and then it um, has filler in there. So there's an extender agent. So that might be bread or breadcrumbs. That might be soy cereal, hence the name cereal burgers. Could be flour. So it's all, all these different extending agents depending on the place you go to that's mixed with this beef and then it's patted out and fried. So there's this textural difference as well, which also makes it different from a hamburger. It's kind of mushy in the center, and then it's crisp and crackly on the outside.
8: And the, the good part of the of the burger is, is the edges where it's crispy. And the flour helps them give a crispness to them too. That is an additional feature of the duty burger.
3: Here in Tennessee, we like our thin and crispy. You
6: know, if you want, one thin and crispy we'll we, we aim to please. I have people request to have them crisp they want them crispy all the way you know And so I'll flatten those they'll say flat and crispy so they and I flatten mine with my spatula and a glass coke bottle I use the glass coke bottle to press the burger down on top of that spatula <laughs> and, and then we'll flatten it just as thin as we can get it and then you know make it real toasty and brown that's the way they like it a lot of people do.
8: <laughs> I got a friend that comes over every once in a while and that's what we'll have for dinner we'll mix up a little batch of duty burgers or you may want to call them johnny burgers but but it's more romantic than a dough burger you know so have a name to it
0: (laughs) you can buy this slug burger meat here at some of the local grocery stores and what we've done at home instead of making the, the burger size patty is we've made a little quarter size little patty and we've dipped them in mustard relish and kind of just made a little appetizer out of them and they're so good.
2: A slug burger is soy flour and meal and a little bit of hamburger meat patted together and deep fried into a almost a hard tight patty put on a hamburger bun, and served with mustard, pickle, and onion.
6: The traditional Latham's burger is mustard, pickle, and onion, and that was the only way it was served for many years here. Uh, they, you could just tell them with or without. <laughs> but then um, Miss Vicki Latham took over back in the 80s, and um, she added the availability of lettuce and tomato and things like that. And if you come out here and you say, oh, I want a dough burger dressed, a dough burger
3: dressed in Johnny's world is mustard, people onion, lettuce and tomato where a lot of places a dress burger is mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, but not in Johnny's world. We we have our own world out here, so
5: <laughs> I would tell them that whatever they eat on a on a another burger is what they'd like on slug burgers. And mostly um, folks around here eat pickle onion and mustard. But we also serve lettuce, tomato and mayonnaise or a mixture of
7: all of that. Part of what makes it so fun is, is where you go regionally, the toppings will be a little bit different. So if you go to like Southern Middle Tennessee or even Southeastern Tennessee, you may find like a really thick mustard-based slaw, a really yellow slaw you know, with cabbage in it. Uh, North Alabama area, you generally find like a sweet slaw, uh, vinegar, sugar-based slaw. And then over in Mississippi, sometimes you find a mayonnaise-based slaw. Typically though, a slug burger does have some type of slaw cabbage topping on it. For us and all the way is mustard, ketchup, pickle, onion, and slaw. Um, and then a cheeseburger all the way is mustard, ketchup, pickle, onion, slaw, lettuce, and tomato. So that's that's what we do differently than, than most people. That's just our menu. I want to share a duty burger with you. Okay, got your bun here. Okay, got your bun.
8: Now we're going to put a little bit of mustard on the bun here. Okay, just a circle of mustard there. Got to have a couple of slices of onion to go on it. Got to have some onion. And a couple of slices of pickle.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: and then you got your delicious booty burger there that goes on there and then you got like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you want to buy? <laughs> mm-hmm. <Have some. laughs>
9: I'm Anne-Marie Anderson from the Southern Foodways Alliance and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the slug burger. The origins of the slug burger are murky at best, but it is very regionally rooted and it is a working class food, and that's kind of the beauty of this.
7: The slug burger kind of came out of necessity. Uh, it started, you know, during the Depression and post-Depression era, especially in the South. Whenever, whenever you had a family trying to feed a bunch of kids and they really couldn't afford it, they would take their hamburger meat and extend it to make it to make it last, kind of forever you know as long as they could so a lot of times they would take one pound of hamburger meat and add things into it to make it go farther so they weren't just feeding you know one or two kids they were feeding as many as possible with the same amount of meat for as little bit of money as possible so as far as who invented it where exactly it came from i have no clue (laughs) i don't know if anybody does um i think that that just kind of came out of came out of necessity i'm sure somebody coined the phrase slug burger or dough burger along the way but as far as as far as the genre of food goes, it, it's definitely standalone and came out of necessity, to my understanding.
6: From the stories I've heard, just passed down through the generations, it's kind of like a Appalachian mountain tradition. To stre- it was a way to stretch meat back in the Depression era, and it just kind of stuck around. I think because people developed a taste for it here. You know, they had big families, money was tight, and so they added flour. And some of the slow burgers here have a, a cornmeal. Uh, or soy meal mixed in them. Some people put eggs. You know, There's a lot of fillers that they use to stretch the meat to feed a large family.
5: There's a family in Corinth, the wheat family. They came up with the recipe. I think they tried a lot of things. I don't know about you, but my family was poor and a lot of children, and my mother always was trying to extend the beef some way, you know, like uh, cornflakes or crackers or you know, something like that. And the idea behind it was to make something cheap that the farmers come into town on Saturday, they'd stay from daylight till dark. And it was cheap and it was good and they could feed their families on it.
0: It got the name Slug Burger because they were made during, they started during the Depression when ground beef, like it is now, had gotten really expensive. And it was just out of reach for so many families to have to to be able to afford ground beef. So they started the, making up something using flour or cornmeal or grain or you know just whatever they had and painted it out and and served that on a bun as if it were a hamburger. And there became a definite recipe eventually that that everybody has come to know today as the slug burger. Slug burgers
9: are a fixture of the Tennessee Valley. And that's because of industry, right? That's because it's an easy working class food. This is a place where a lot of industry was brought in after, you know, TDA work started. And
2: so these are people who are working in textile mills. They're working at feed plants. I think that, like I said, the one that's out on 72, I may be wrong, but I believe they had them before Borems did downtown. Um, there was that, there was Mass and Gills, there was two or three that was on the Highway Slug Burger Cafe that just came from the people that had the carts, and you know, they, they were selling so much, kind of like the hot dog stands, whatever, and then they just started putting them in the buildings, mm-hmm. and that's where they are. When I was a kid,
5: my mother was a nurse, and she got paid once a month, and once a month she would stop here at this place, and it was known as Leonard's Cafe then. And she would get, uh, you could get a dozen for a dollar, and she would get a dozen on payday and bring them home to us. And that was my first
3: experience. Even with my mom, their generation, they didn't, um, they could come into town because the local school was here on 5th Street. And they could Mm -hmm. walk into town, and they would get a slug burger at the Rexall or at Leonard's, where Miss Pat's is now. It was Leonard's Cafe. And so they would come into town if they had any extra change, kind of like us when we were in high school. I do remember
2: it was, and really still is lots of times, a Saturday ritual. When I was young, there was a place called the White Trolley on Highway 72. It's actually still there. It is, it looks like a trolley car. We used to go on Saturdays when we would be out shopping, doing whatever. And I thought it was fun to go sit on the bar stools. Just grew up. Aiding the slug burgers.
7: For a long time, a lot of my childhood, like Saturday mornings, were hey, let's go get our haircut and walk across the town square and eat eat at Dove's Burgers. Really fun story is that I have a customer that literally turned 17 this year that I've now got on my employee staff. Um, but I can remember, you know, when she was 12 and serving her my first year. So it's fun to see, you know, her story of Doves is gonna look different than really anybody else's.
9: It's also historically significant, right? Because it's not just some interesting food. It tells us something. It tells us something about the people who ate that food. It tells us something about, you know, the culture of that place. And and that's why we study slug burgers. And that's why we study any food because it tells us something about who we are as a people, um, about our identity, but also about our economics, about our culture, um, and about place.
4: Honestly, now with what we've gone through with COVID, uh, it seems like that makes The Slug Burger relevant again as being something that's there for people when they've lost their jobs and everything. My name is Brian Huff, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of The Slug Burger. we're kind of the birthplace of rockabilly music. A lot of people, that's been a well-kept secret that really needs to, it's not really been fleshed out. A lot of times when you think of what rock and roll, you think of Tupelo and Memphis because of Elvis. But Elvis first played with Carl Perkins.
3: Here in Bethel Springs. Here in
4: Bethel Springs, just a few miles north of where we're sitting right here. the first place they ever met and ever played together. And this is where they developed their sounds. So we're literally sitting at the birthplace of rockabilly music. And Elvis said he'd never come back because he didn't make enough gas money to make it back to Tupelo.
3: <laughs> Is that what Pat says? That's
4: what, that's what Harold said. Uh, Harold Knight, he's no longer with us, but Harold was really kind of the keeper of the flame of all these stories. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you went to the Slugburger place over Miss Pat's, uh, Harold was a permanent fixture and he you were going to hear stories about all this. And Tupelo, uh,
8: Johnny's drive-in, Of course, that's the famous drive-in that Elvis used to go to when he, as he became famous or right before and right after he he got his popularity, he'd go to to Johnny's and get the Johnny Burger. They called it a Johnny Burger at Johnny's.
3: I'm just going to have to tell you the story that I have been told. So, okay, Um, we are located just we're just a block from the birthplace um, and we're actually just one street over from where Elvis went to school as a child. So the rumor is that he would come over after school and get a cheeseburger dough burger and an RC Cola. And so that's just the story that we've always heard. We actually have a plaque out front on the patio um, telling about him coming here as a child and getting the dough burger and the RC Cola with his friends. And then we actually have a picture of him sitting in one of the booths um, here on the wall that was in. 56, I believe, and a little story about how we got the picture. So
8: The booth that Elvis Presley sat in is still there at Johnny's, uh, and there's a picture of him sitting in the booth, so I like to sit in sometimes, you know, and kind of get that pose that he's got, and people come in and say, thank you very much.
3: Actually, it was a traveling salesman took the picture. He just forgot about it, and he stumbled upon it and then brought it out here to Johnny's. So it was like, it stayed, I think it was like about 40 years before he even thought about it, he had it. So that's how we've had it out here since 1997. I mean, it's not anything on Elvis week to have 35, you know, 30 Elvis impersonators in here sitting with the, you know, with customers and, and they're just loving it.
8: Gene Simmons, not the Gene Simmons of the Kiss, but there was a kind of a country, uh, early rockabilly singer in Tupelo, Gene Simmons uh he, if you remember you may remember a song way back called haunted house bought a new house today anyway uh that was one of his most popular songs but he did uh, write a song about duties don't to sing it to you <laughs> y'all turn your radios down turn your sound down now so you won't break your computers but i'm not a real good singer so this is gonna be i'm gonna tear it up but it's a uh, duty was a christian for that was his family name slinging hash and burgers was his only claim to fame i've been from california clear across to carolina but the best damn meal ever had was down at duty's diner so that was a popular song around tupelo because it mentioned duty
2: somebody came and made a commercial and there's a song of the Slug Burger that's actually the Slug Burger song. Yeah, Charlie Mm Cobb. It was and he, the first year that I did this, which has just been four years ago, he came to me and told me that. Did you know there's a song? Did you know you should play that song during the summer (laughs) festival? Do you know the artist
9: Brittany Howard? Have you seen her music video for Stay High? Okay, that's the story of the Slug Burger. (laughs) So she's from Athens, Alabama uh, and Dubs is in there, and this is the, you know, the story of Stay High's, this man played by Terry Cruz, he's getting out of the poultry plant, he goes to the store, he's looking for food, they're singing, and everybody is kind of like singing and dancing along with him. He goes to Dubs Burgers, he gets a sack of Dub Burgers, which are slug like burgers, and he goes home, and he says to his daughters, I got hamburgers. Those are slug burgers in that bag. It's kind of loosely based on, on her her dad and, and his work in this poultry feed plant. And that's just really like, to me, the story of this, right? It's a working class food.
7: Uh, when she was here, she was super sweet. Uh, she was great to take time with all of us. Uh, Terry Cruz was in the video as well. And they were both super honorable to us as, as owners, but also just small town business. They spent a lot of time with us. And, uh, you know, we talked about a lot. We really didn't talk about anything as far as her personal history here at Dove specifically, other than she remembers growing up here, eating it, uh, you know, she remembered uh, being brought here by family members, and it is kind of an iconic place in town. There's a couple of hot spots you got to hit, and um, and this is one of them. She was extremely respectful and um, and generous to us as a company, and I was really grateful to have her here.
8: I'm Boyd Yarbrough from the Orange Dunn City Museum, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the Duty Burger. I guess the first time that I tried a duty burger was with my dad. Uh, He liked to go down to the trolley car diner on Saturday afternoons and just uh, as a lunch, a light lunch, have a duty burger. So I remember, I guess maybe, gosh, how many, I won't say 50 years ago or more, I guess, 60 maybe, was my first duty burger. And the atmosphere of the old trolley car was exciting too that wasn't like any other kind of cafe or restaurant around town because it was actually one that the duty Christian had brought in in like 1947 to start selling uh, his food from that from that location the diner itself was located across town in Tupelo which is um, the probably the most major intersection in town I mean it's a four-way intersection with a railroad track that splits it right down the middle so about 20 times a day all the traffic has to stop at this major intersection always has and so they redid that intersection 20 years ago or more to realign another street it had another street that came into that intersection made it a five way street so they realigned moved the street down south a little bit and it went right through uh, where Duty's Diner was sitting so they had to get duties matter of fact he had already gone out of the restaurant business and it for a while it was a little antique shop and then after that it was a tattoo parlor, and then uh, it had become vacant uh, about a year before they re relocated the streets so we had a generous benefactor with it, it had a crane and scaffolding moving company uh, that moved it for us for free out here to the Oren Dunn Museum so uh, it became relocated I think it was maybe 1986 or something like that 87 to the grounds here at the Oren Dunn Museum and then a few years later after that we were thinking of ways that we needed to to raise money to help preserve the history and, and improve our exhibits and thought well why don't we sell duty burgers so the first year you know we we had I don't know we made four or 500 duty burgers, maybe, and sold them, which was a pretty good deal, because we'd never done it before. And then uh, it's just grown and grown and grown every year after that.
2: I remember, of course, when the Slope Burger Festival started. That was in 1987 by a gentleman named Jimmy Hathcock, who owned a jewelry store down close to Borum's. It was my understanding that they just one day were like, this should be celebrated. And they wanted to do something downtown. And so on the Court Square, which is you know where Borhums is, right across from the courthouse, they put together what was the first festival 34 years ago and it has grown into what it is today from there.
4: I think it just started once the Rockabilly Highway Revival Festival came in. There were we felt there were other small pieces that needed to be plugged in. So people had more of a full picture of what it was like to to be. Uh, here in McNary County and so the slugout started to come in and it was really meant to be like a friendly thing just where we sort of showcased them more than anything uh, because everybody it's very tribal you have your Pats fans you have your Winks fans you have your Brenda's and the slug burger they love is the slug burger they love you're not changing them yeah and so I thought it'd be a lot of fun to sort of just pit these tribes against each other to see who would show up to support their but so I, I think we started at 17. I do, too. Sure. Yeah, this should be its fifth year. Yeah. The recipe was uh, given to us. Of course, it was a secret. I can't
8: tell you about it. I have to kill you. But uh, as far as the, the preparation for the burgers segment itself, we, we probably get about 120 pounds of hamburger meat and about 50 or 75 pounds of flour and probably six or seven gallons of pickles and and i don't know a dozen or two of these mustard uh, containers and all you know so um and then a um, couple of days before the festival one of the local restaurant owners allows us to come in and mix the mix uh, the first i don't know we were stupid for the first 10 or 12 years We'd mix it by hand, you know, and in these big trays and stuff, and you know, just squeeze it and splash it, mix the flour and all that. But then one day, ding, why don't we use one of those big mixers that they have in the restaurant, you know, so we found a guy that would let us do that. So it's been a lot easier the past five or six years uh, mixing the the duty burger mix mechanically rather than by hand. Although. There may be a little bit of taste different, you know, with your hands instead of with the machine.
2: <laughs> so, actually, the Rotary Club here cooks the burgers and um, serves them. I sure do.
4: To the downtown, a lot of the streets are blocked off, so they can literally just walk from restaurant to restaurant. And, and those restaurants are open throughout the festival. And so they can literally go sit down uh in in any of these places and enjoy them and that was kind of the idea too was to drive people to these businesses
8: we don't actually cook in the diner but you're allowed to sit at the diner as they did years ago you know but uh then um we we've got two big griddles i mean the like big old flat top griddles that you can put maybe 40 hamburgers on at a time so you scoop them out with a uh, ice cream scoop that's about the size of the a big heaping ice cream scoop and plop it down and let it sit a minute and then you get your spatula and you squash it down and it cooks oh i'd say maybe three or four minutes it'll it'll cook and then we've got volunteers that are continually uh squeezing mustard and putting on pickles and slapping on a, a hamburger and then wrapping it up and causing some people gosh dog you wouldn't believe they come and buy a sack full of duty burgers i mean like give me 12 duty burgers of course there we are just throwing them all together and also it's a hectic hectic deal in the kitchen which is an outside kitchen actually because you can smell the onions and all the meat and everything cooking so it's kind of we wanted it that way um but uh i mean we have sold as many as like 1800 Duty burgers,
4: uh, and on a day, God, lead up their participation. It was totally voluntary. They don't have to like to be a part of it. We really encourage them to just for sort a of fact just get the names of the restaurants out because we had we wanted them made to where they were originally made. So that meant onions, pickle, and mustard. And mustard. Those were the three original condiments because they were inexpensive, readily available. So those are the three things that people mainly used on the on the slug burger. Um, so we wanted them made in that particular fashion. Uh, so we would send people with coolers to each restaurant and they would get them to make sure they stayed warm, you know, put them in the coolers and bring them to the courthouse. And then we had a, a room hidden away and the panel of judges was unknown. Uh, we would we would have judges come in and we
1: did protect their identity we
4: didn't want any any (laughs) threats or anything so no one knew who the judges were first year we had a few out-of-town judges um, which was really interesting but the second year uh, and I'm pretty sure the third year they were all All local local. judges what was so funny too is because as some of them were eating them and they would try to even guess whose they were eating it's so funny because uh, a lot of times they thought they were eating one person's, but it was another person's. And so when they would come in, we would have them as numbers, and then someone had the cooler in another room to where those were numbered and corresponding to where they came from, so that way we had a record to keep track of, and then that way also the judges had no clue where they came from. Mm-hmm. And that was hilarious with them trying to guess who's was whose. Because a lot of times they were wrong. wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> yeah.
3: First year winner was um, Rockabilly Cafe, which yep. was unusual because all the judges were sitting there telling me and you in the room, oh, well, this is my favorite. This is my favorite. This is my favorite. And then here comes Rockabilly Cafe, who was new to the table doing this. Yep. And then they beat them all that first year. So yeah. it, it was Different by it?
4: one point, by
3: one point, one point, yeah. and then Miss Pat came back
5: and the then next Ms. year. Miss Pat came back the next Ryan. year, and
4: yeah, and she's she's won ever since. So,
5: <laughs> we have a um, rockabilly festival, and I've won the judges' trophies for three years, and the people's toy uh trophy, I've won that couple of years.
4: Oh An online, poll that we run on Facebook, and we actually uh, pay for that through a polling company, so that no one can vote twice. Yeah, um, and uh, so we—that is part of the people's choice—is on Facebook. So, and that's where you re- really people get really vocal and start sharing. They're like, vote for this, you know. So yeah, I think
3: we migrated to that because
4: I think that like ended we up taking over completely sure instead have. of doing the paper. Thing. Yeah, yeah. We let the Facebook because everybody uses Facebook now. So it became a really easy thing. People with their phones and everything could get on there yeah. and we'd have a vote and share. And uh, I can't even remember how many boats we had one year. It was astronomical. There was it was a, a lot. huge number of votes. Cause um, I think the
3: winning, winning number was like um, right around 400. But once
4: again, Yeah. But once again, it still, it, they were all so close. I mean, it, it's amazing to me how you never have someone like just take off with it. There's so many people that, and there's some people that will go to all places. They just love them all. They just love slug burgers from this area. So there's no one that ever really just takes off with it. It's always a really close competition.
8: We have a couple of contests. Um, we have a duty burger cooking contest, which is a judged contest. Um, who can make a burger that most people, that simulates the actual real duty burger we just give them the ingredients and they have to figure out what to make and some of them are pretty good some of them are you know not so good but it's that's a fun thing and then we have a duty burger eating contest too i mean the person that can eat the most duty burgers in a timed limit there so that's a funny event too seven i think is the record i think it we give them a minute and a half And I think seven is the most that uh, somebody has eaten
4: in that time. After the judging was done, we would have set up a tent out in front of the courthouse and we would have the eating competition. And the eating competition was a lot of fun. It was amazing. What was the record that somebody ate? Was it like six? It was a ridiculous amount. slug burgers are not something that you really eat a lot of um
3: because it's on a bun it's
4: on a bun so the bread is a lot and when you have this fried patty that's already it's kind of like breading itself that's a lot to take down just uh in a short period of time you need a lot of water they came from one restaurant we just wouldn't tell them who because we wanted everybody because like we said some places made them thicker some places made them thinner so in the eating competition side I think we'd get like 50 of them from one place. Just no one was allowed to know where they came from because we changed every year. We literally just gave them 10 to piece, And like, if somebody could get through 10 of them. Yeah. Which I don't know if ever happened. We do. We person, have one
3: person that has so one two person. years in a row. He's done it two years oh, in a
4: right. row. That's right. Two years in a row he's finished them. Yeah. Is he still with us? We don't know. (laughs) We may have actually killed that person. (laughs) uh,
0: There's usually a slug burger eating contest, which it is like watching a train wreck. If you've ever watched the um, hot dog eating contest on television that happens in New York, it's awful to watch, but you can't look away. And we get a lot of the
2: same contestants
0: from that Nathan's hot dog eating contest that come down
2: for that. There was a Slug Burger eating contest and it was, uh, it had turned to a national event. We had the actual Joey Chestnut. So he has come, there's been several of those guys and I think they had them about four years. It was, it drew a pretty big crowd. I mean, it it really did, but um, we don't do that anymore. You know, change it up, you have to switch things up. We may have a local slug eating contest this year though just local folks eating that yeah it's funny the, the lady that started that got married this weekend and joey chestnut actually came back and came to her wedding yeah i think he won it like two or three
4: times
3: you know but he was here
4: yeah so at the end of that we have like the award session and we award the, the the winners of the eating competition and then we award the winning restaurant and everything uh there on stage there's probably youtube and facebook videos out there everywhere because there's lots of cell phones up video and uh, and just cheering on everybody. I mean they, some of them have a favorite and they're cheering on their you know their neighbor, their friend or their relative or whoever, but a lot of times it's just they're really there just supporting everybody. and it's just fun. It's just a lot of fun and uh, we need we need more fun.
2: <laughs> the festival is three days long and we have a carnival of course up in Uptown Park and that runs for three days. We have an entertainment site that's at the Care Garden, which is down where the museum is. And um, there will be entertainment on those nights. We have a Slug Idol, as we call it, competition that is put on by Garrett Eye Clinic. And um, that has really turned into a big deal. We have people come from, you know, multiple counties to uh, participate in that event. And, of course, a winner is crowned on the first night. After that is done, we have usually local entertainment that performs that night. And then on Saturday night, we try to get, you know, national acts if we can, and then some wedding band type bands also come and perform. There is food cooked on both sites. Uh, slug burgers, of course, are on both sites. Um, we also have the traditional carnival type food and barbecue, being from the South. Uh, lots of lemonade stands and... Um, This year, we're having a car show uptown. There's not been a lot of events during the day because of the heat. It's usually so hot here. They've tried vendor booths before, but this year, we're having a car show that will be uptown around the courthouse. We have a pageant that's in the day, Miss Slugberger pageant. It is just a beauty pageant sponsored by our local pageant attire store, Sparkle. It's all age divisions from one year through 18, and they just have a pageant on Saturday, and You lucky when you get to ride in the Christmas parade as Miss Slugberger, as well as being on stage on Saturday night. So it's a a pretty packed three days.
8: But it has always been on the first weekend of May uh, because we've coincided with another big event in Tupelo called the Blue Suede Cruise, which uh, attracts, I don't know, gosh, seven or eight hundred, maybe a thousand antique and, you know, Hot rod cars and stuff into Tupelo. So we thought it would be a great segue with the old cars and the old burgers to have kind of a combined event.
2: Well, there is a lady, and I don't know who it is, but she's from Pennsylvania and she comes every year. She had a family connection here. And with just selling the t shirts, um, you know, those go on Facebook, of course. And you just wouldn't believe the places that I ship the t shirts to. And it's from I either lived here years ago and my grandmother mails me one every year and she's not there anymore. I need a t-shirt. So, I mean, we probably have, I don't know, eight or nine different States that we ship t-shirts to. And I would say probably five people that are like, that that I do mail to that they're like, I've never missed a t-shirt. Don't want to miss it. Like last year, you know, we didn't have, obviously we didn't have this festival, but we did have a t-shirt because we were like, We have to have the t-shirt, whether we have the festival or not.
8: And what I hate about the Doobie Burger Festival is making people wait as long as they wait for one of these burgers. And um, so we're still working on ways to speed all that up. Standing in line for for a dough burger for 15 minutes, I don't know, it just bothers me. It just, I want want to get them and get their burger to them so that they can enjoy it instead of having to wait in line.
6: I'm Holly Porner from Latham's Hamburger Inn, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the dough Burger. Around the age of probably 10, I ate my first Latham's burger from Latham's. <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister and her husband lived in New Albany for a short time after they got out of college. And I came and stayed with them some on the weekend. And they brought me to Latham's. And so I remember it from then. So
7: I literally have pictures of me in diapers on the bar barstools here at Dub. So for me, a slug worker is just kind of culturally a way of life. It's something that's always been there. And um, so I guess first impressions were, they were great because I've been eating them ever since.
3: My parents actually purchased Johnny's in 1981 from Mark, John and Margaret Chisholm who were the original owners. So I have grown up eating them.
5: The man who started my little cafe's name was Buster. And he sold it to the Leonards. And the Leonards, uh, their health got bad. And so, uh, they sold it to a lady named Nola Jean Borden. And I went to work for her in, uh, December of, uh, 87. And she bought it in September of 87, and I bought it in January of 88. I worked for her about a month when I bought it. And I have been here, I've started on my 34th year, and I really like doing it.
7: I purchased it about five years ago, five years, July 1, from a gentleman named Lanier Greenhall. Uh, Lanier is from the Athens area as well, and his father and his uncle owned it, Jimmy and Herbie. Jimmy bought Herbie out, so Jimmy bought out Herbie's half the restaurant, and that's how Lanier ended up with it, was he, he got it from his father. Jimmy and Herbie got it from the original uh, establishment owner, and that was Dub Greenhall, kind of locally known here, affectionately as Dub.
3: Johnny's was originally opened um, October seventeenth, 1945, by uh, the late John and Margaret Chisholm. They were the original owners, like I said. They uh, ran it until the early 80s when my parents, Don and Barbara Knight, purchased it, and then... They recently just retired on uh, June the 30th of 2020, so I took over July the 1st of 2020. So, I'm still, my feet wet on being an actual owner.
6: (laughs) I've been out here working for five years, but... The way I understand, Latham's original recipe came around in 1928 um, by a gentleman, last name is Stagg. He was out of Tennessee. He ran Stagg's here for 20 years or so. He later sold to the Grissom family. Then um Miss Latham uh helped Miss Grissom there at Lath- well at Grissom's Inn. And um when they retired, she and her husband bought it. So it became Latham's sometime in like the sixties. And then um their daughter in law, Vicky, wound up buying it in the eighties and she had it until about three years ago when I purchased it. And I just kept the Latham's name. Vicki continues to work here some on Saturdays just to come in and help me out. And then her brother actually is retired now. And he helps run the front for me. So they're still very involved, you know, with it because of the name and just the tradition. And they just, they want to see this place continue. We are Tupelo's oldest restaurant.
3: Now, as far as I know, um, we're doing it exactly the same way they were doing it, so. And I'm doing it the way my dad was doing it, and he was doing it the way they were doing it. Um, so, to my knowledge, nothing has changed. <laughs> we
5: were buying ours uh, from a Mr. Gray who had a meat market down in Corinth, Mississippi, which is about 20 minutes from here. And he was very good to me, but he had a recipe, and we had a new health man. And the new health man wanted to know the ingredients in the slug burgers. And Mr. Gray would not give it to him. So, in order to, he thought he would get the recipe, he told Mr. Gray that he could not sell it to me to transport across state lines and then cook it and sell it to my customers, which that was devastating to me and, and to him too, because that was the only outlet I had. And so, Their health man called the health man up here and told us if we were caught going across state lines, the fine would be swift and stiff. And I'm a big coward. I'm going to go by the rules. And so, I was just worried to death, you know, what was I going to do, because that's half of my business right there.
6: Vicky actually came in and um, taught me how to make them. And so, it's just learning how to how far to press down when you're trying to flatten them out without making them, you know, fall apart. And that's, that was kind of a hard thing. And then getting the temperature on your grease just right and... Um, being careful not to burn them because a lot of people request them, you know, to be crispy, but you you want them to be crispy, but you also don't want them to have a, you know, scorched taste. So, just kind of learn it is it's just a little bit different than cooking a regular hamburger.
5: And um, my son happened to be dating a little girl whose grandmother had had a slug burger place and she made her own slug burgers. So, woman that I am, I used my son. <laughs> and I called her and I asked her if she would sell me her recipe and uh, she said, no but I'll come down there and show you how to make it and I said, you will? and she said, yes, and I said alright, of course, now she made hers in a dishpan and she mixed it together sort of like biscuits, you know with her hands, but uh for the amount I needed, I knew that wasn't enough. So we started with her recipe and uh, and got
6: it until we thought it was right. When I bought it, I asked her would she come back in because it kind of had just gotten a little bit, it gotten kind of far away from what it had been originally. And so without her coming in to help me make sure we had the recipe right and with, and um, Having her name associated with it, you know, letting people know that she was back and that it was going to be the original recipe was very important to me. And it has made all the difference in the world because we have people come in now that had been in previously and they're like, oh wow, these taste like they used to. And that makes, that gives me the best feeling in the world to hear people say that. It just made, I can't tell you how happy that makes me because that's what, that's all I wanted is I wanted it to be reminiscent of what it was, you know, 30, 40 years ago.
5: When I bought this place, I went to a previous owner, Miss Leonard, and I asked her if she would come to work for me and show me how to do this. And um, I said, I will ask her if she would. And she said, well, now she was like in her 70s then. And she said, well, I might be bossy. And I said, well, I'll treat you just like it would my mother. And she looked at me kind of strange and she said, well, how's that? And I said, I'll listen to everything you got to say and then go ahead and do what I want me to So she worked for me for some 20 years. She was a good woman. And she finally, her knee played out and she had to quit. But she told me, she said, I'd like to stay. I just can't go any further. But she was a fine woman and I loved her
4: dearly. It seems like the Slug Burger, it's very interesting. It's gotten... You have a change of the guard as you've gone from Leonard's and gone to Pat's, but someone's always there to pick up the mantle.
3: I will say this, this is not something I thought I would be doing. Just because my parents, um, it, being in the restaurant business is, is very confining. as far as it's hard to plan. I can, you know, my dad was always working at night. So it was pretty much, you know, my mom and I at home all the time just because of the hours we had to work. Mother did all the book bookwork. She was the bookkeeper, payroll, all that. but I went to college. I have a degree from the University of Mississippi in accounting, and that's, you know, mother and daddy wanted me to do something else. Um, and I did for 15 and a half years. I worked at a local hospital here in town, mm-hmm. and my husband and I also have a fish and steakhouse. So, So, um, five years ago, I left the hospital and told mom and dad I wanted to come work for them and learn the family business. My dad, um, is almost 77. My mom is in her early 70s. I'm not going to divulge her true age. <laughs> Uh, so I knew it, there was coming a time that he was going to want to retire, but he didn't want it outside of the family. So, um, so I just said, I'm going to do it. I need something different uh, and it's
7: fun. This is hundred percent family business for us. You know, my, my wife and I, we own it, but uh, you know, if, if workers call out my dad or my father-in-law or mom and mother-in-law, somebody's going to jump in to the need. And that, that's kind of what makes Slug Burgers fun is it's still very family oriented in business and family, family driven. Um, everybody knows Um, Olivia is my wife Olivia and my heart uh, behind why we do it and there's a ton of support for that in the family and it's just fun to see it come full circle with family and as a matter of fact
8: Johnny and duty were brothers-in-law so it's kind of a family connection there that they both serve basically the same type of burger
3: and actually the the gentleman who owned Duty's was mr. John Chisholm's brother-in-law I believe I'm telling that correctly So there was a family relation. So they're very similar in how they were cooked because, you know, he was cooking the same thing his brother-in-law was doing. But Johnny's, the dough burger from Johnny's came first before the baby burger.
5: (laughs) Now here's something real interesting about Mr. Gray. It's a real sweet thing. Uh, I kept buying my soybean grips from him. And when he was about to die, he told his wife, to call me and give me the name of the place where he bought his grit in Memphis. But he said, you tell her not to go down there by herself because it's in the bad part of town. And I thought that was so sweet, you know, that he would be dying and be of me. I really, I really thought a lot of him and his wife, Miss
4: Craig. So if no one picks up that mantle to carry it on, no one's going to have these stories. So it's kind of, it's a little frightening in a way.
3: I've enjoyed hearing dad's stories and it's kind of now my turn to, to hear the
6: stories and, and just see what happens in this crazy little place. <laughs> then I have some of the sweetest stories where uh, children have came in that are, you know, reminiscent of their parents or their grandparents that brought them here. And they may come here on their birthdays just to remember when they would come with them, you know, years ago. And so they always have sweet stories to tell.
5: He was here real early, and he was in a really hurry. And I said, why are you in such a hurry? And he said, my daughter's having a baby, and she's craving slug burgers, and I've got to fly them to Memphis. And I said, you going to fly them? And he was a pilot, and he said, yeah. And he said, how much stuff? Oh, yes, well, if you can fly them, I I can furnish them for free. And then uh here about a month ago he brought uh a young man in with him and he said, Miss Pat, you remember that baby being born? I said, I do and he said, Well this is him, he's twenty one.
3: <laughs> so I thought that was
5: hilarious.
3: We have tons of guest books, which try to get all of our visitors to sign a guest book and they'll leave notes and we've had stuff mailed to us from Australia and different places. We've got a a car tag that's on the wall that's actually from Queensland that one of the visitors sent us. Um, and it's just, you, you, know, you know, we get stuff that people send all the time and we send t-shirts and mail stuff to them. So we, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun.
5: <laughs> we had uh, folks in town and they were from Germany and they were uh, working at a factory that we had here and they were on their way home. And uh, he came in and asked me if I would let him film me uh, cooking slug burgers, and I said, "Well, sure." And he said, "And would you talk to the camera and tell them about slug burgers?" And I said, "Well, sure, I don't mind." And so I did. And uh, when my I came home from work, I was telling my husband about it, and he said, "Oh my goodness! Somewhere on the History Channel in Germany." They're showing that film and thinking, look at that poor old hillbilly woman.
7: (laughs) And if you're from here and you've been away for a while and you come back, this is on the list for sure. Uh, For most people, like today, we had a guy that uh, just got released from active duty and came home and literally got home and came and eat. It's like, that's what he he did, came to eat, so. um,
2: You know, and I have a brother-in-law that lives in Reno, Nevada. He is the exact same way. When his plane lands, he stops by and buys 20 slug burgers. And he eats on those slug burgers his entire stay. And we have actually got dry ice and flown him slug burgers to Reno, Nevada. When you gotta have one, you gotta have one. And, and that's what you do. True story.
5: <laughs> if your post office does overnight delivery of uh, and my, my brother lives in uh, Michigan, and his son-in-law was having a birthday, and he wanted some ship. And uh, so we froze burgers, and we froze mustard. And I got them to the post office at 4.30, and they were delivered at 2.30 the next day. And uh, it cost $46 to mail 12 burgers. Michigan so yes we have done that but mostly people get them and put them in the freezer and then put them in a cooler and take them home we have a fellow that lives in Tampa Florida and he gets 150 patties at a time takes them home and puts them in the freezer so that's pretty cool
6: I guess the biggest thing about um, being a part of of Latham's is the people too is um, we just, we've became so close to the locals that come here that love this place. Even we have people that come over from Alabama that now would, they feel like family and they drive nearly two hours to come over about once every, every two months. And, um, it's just, it's community, I guess, has been a big part of Latham's. It's, it's really not just about the burger. It's about, coming in, sitting down, and, you know, we, we know what's going on in your, you know, in your daily life, that so we're, how is so-and-so feeling, and it's just, if that's an important thing, especially in this day and time, to be able to have a place like this to come to, and, and feel like you're family, and feel like people know you, and they care about you.
3: Um, a fond memory is um, Miss Pat Cafe, we would go there. During my high school years, you know, anytime you were out for whatever reason from high school, we would go to Miss Pat's eat lunch. It was cheap, it was very quick, you know, and Miss Pat, she knows all of us, even to yeah. today, you know. Yeah. She remembers everybody's name that comes through the door and um you know, it just feels like home. It's always felt like home with her. So
5: I've just been here thirty like going on thirty four years. And- I enjoy my job and I enjoy my customers.
7: You know, Southern Tennessee, Northern Mississippi, Northern Georgia, and North Alabama, the, the few places that are around here, it's kind of like a dying art, you know, so it's something that you're going to find very locally, very regionally, all of them are kind of mind on pop nobody's doing it really well on the corporate on a corporate level, uh, so it, it's fun just to go see and experience the culture of the local people, the local places that serve it, and how different each burger is because they do have their own flair.
1: That is the local fairy tale of the Slugburger. More information about the Slugburger Tale Tellers can be found at localfairy, F-A-R-E-Y, tales, T-A-L-E-S, dot com. And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your own tales about the Slug Burger or other local fair. And if you don't know much about your local fare, ask, there are tale tellers everywhere. A sack full of gratitude to Anne-Marie Anderson, Angela Avent, Brian Huff, Jessica Huff, Pat Knight, Holly Pointer, Derek Pirtle, Christy Knight White, Whitney Worsham, and Boyd Yarbrough for sharing their time and Slugburger knowledge. Concept, production, and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts.